Welcome to Money with Alpha, where I share simple tips for how to make, save and invest money while also connecting your values with your lifestyle so you can achieve the life you really want. You will also hear interviews from real people as they share the ups and downs of their money journey. After all, we are all on a journey and what better way to learn about money than to hear what hasn't and has worked. Hi, everybody, and welcome to today's episode. I have a very special guest today, Rudy Landman. Uh, we've met a few times, and it was only recently that we discovered a lot of the commonalities that we have. So we're going to explore some really amazing... We actually started talking before the interview and before I hit record. I was like, well, I think we need to hit record because there's just so many good things coming out of it. So welcome to the episode today, Rudy. Thank you. Thank you so much for, for having me on. Oh, it's exciting. And I thought before, I mean, there's there's probably, you you get around a little bit because I've, I've seen you at a number of different events and you're always so beautifully dressed as well. And I'm usually noticing, I was like, oh, I love the earrings or the handbags. It's just, I, I love your energy as well. That's what doesn't come through in a podcast, but you do have a beautiful energy. Oh, thank you. That means a, means a lot to me. And yeah, we, we, I think we really did hit it off when we, when we did connect. So um, yeah. yeah, it's it's really, and it also goes to show that um, having those conversations and making those connections, and they often don't always happen instantly either, because we're human beings and we build, and there's also trust that needs to get built there, and and then also the level of vulnerability we're prepared to share with people we don't know, and that's part of um, all of our journey, but probably in particular yours, which is something I'd like to explore a bit today. Um, so just as a general introduction, would you like to, to share with, with the audience a little bit about your journey? Because it's, it's, it's quite a juicy one um, and you've had shown a lot of courage in, in what you're, you have done and what you're continuing to do. Well, thank you so much. Okay, so um, I guess the, the journey we're talking about here is my, my journey into discovering my, my gender identity, which was quite different from, from what I grew up with. And to cut a very long story short, so um, I I have a male body. Um, I was raised a boy and then became a man and never really questioned anything about that until I was in my 40s. And suddenly there was a, a series of things that happened that was precipitated by me getting fit and active and healthy for the first time. So I've had a long career in the tech industry and lived the life of a stereotypical tech worker, just very sedentary, steady diet of junk food, um, all of those stereotypes. But in my case, it was true. Yeah. Uh, and I decided to that I was unhappy with how I was feeling and unhappy also with how I was looking. Mm -hmm. um, and I wanted to fix that. So I became very active. I became very healthy. I paid attention to what I was eating and uh, and also how I was moving my body. Yeah. And so I went from being, you know, very, very unfit and overweight uh, to being very lean and athletic at my prime. <laughs> uh, put a few COVID kilos back on that I haven't shifted again. I will. <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, uh, and then what happened was somehow I still, something new was happening when I was reacting to photos and the mirror of, of my physique. And it just led me to question. It led me to question what was going on in my life and what, what I was seeing and what I was reacting to. And, and for me, it was a, it was a sense of 
masculinity or, or the gender that I was seeing. And so I started experimenting around the fringes of that and discovered that I was much happier showing up in the world in, in a way that is probably more traditionally feminine. Um, and that goes for uh, the types of activities, the types of, the types of things that I attend, the, um, the clothes that I wear, the, the, the grooming <laughs> that I adopt. So all of these, uh, all of these things and, and yeah, that I mean, that crosses a boundary that is still, you know, very hotly defended, I guess, in in our society. Like, um, men don't dress that way or don't do those things, and there, you know, and so for me, it was a case of first coming to terms with it myself. Like, what does it mean for me if if I do have the body that I have, but actually I don't want to participate in society that way. I want to participate a different way. And I had to come to terms with that myself. Um, my family had to come to terms with it. And I also, I guess, went from a position of, look, I'm, I am the six feet tall and most of my life I've weighed, you know, around or over a hundred kilos. I've never had to really think about my personal safety or security. I can just go anywhere and do anything and not care mm. about or even think about my surroundings yeah. to be yeah, harassed on the streets or having people leave nasty stuff on my social media or whatever. And it's that feeling of having lost a security and a safety that I always took for granted and which, you know, by and large, no woman in our society takes for granted um that sense of personal safety so it was that was an interesting oh, that sounds very academic but it was it was an eye-opener for me and it's one thing believing your female relatives and friends who who talk about safety and security but then experiencing it yourself is is always a very different thing yeah yeah and it's and there's a there's a certain expectation that everybody has in their lives that people behave a certain way. There's even like my my daughter growing up, oh, there's boy colours and there's girl colours. I'm like, what? Where do you even get this from? It just seems to be something there and then a friend's son likes pink and now it's becoming a little bit more um, people are like, oh, especially when they're little, oh, it's okay for a boy to like pink. I was like, yeah, but is it still going to be okay for him to like pink when he's, you know, in a teenage years or grown up? There's, there's still, I mean, I mean, even even me, I was making mistakes in relation to the pronouns I was using because it's just so part of our vernacular. Um, and it's it's understanding the reality or the meaning behind that, which is it, it's, it's not just words. There's more to it. And then understanding the, the level of sort of risk and vulnerability that you've had to sort of get to in your own personal space to also present that to the world and then have the reaction not always be sort of support. <laughs> and that's, and to be honest, there's a lot of women in the world who will experience that in their businesses and that, but you've done it in a, a much more open way that's, that's open to a lot more feedback, let's put it that way, I'm being very diplomatic. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think there comes a point at which the cost or the pain of living inauthentically and yeah. dealing with that becomes stronger than what whatever you think 
people are going to say or whatever you think the world is going to throw yeah. at you. Um, and have you found it's gotten easier with time, living more in your authentic self? 100% because I, I guess I had a chance to observe two things. So, you know, there's that beautiful saying, it's, it's usually attributed to Dr. Seuss, but it's not actually. It's that thing that the people who mind don't matter and the mm -hmm. people who matter don't mind. Ah, so, yeah. And so first was experiencing that, and I call it now my bubble of love, <laughs> that, <laughs> that, you know, that a lot of the nasty stuff just doesn't even touch me. It just slides off because I am surrounded by, by a community of, of good and kind people yeah. and accepting people. So I'm really privileged in that respect. A lot of trans and gender diverse people don't have that experience. A right. lot of, a lot of us, you know, lose family or employment or, or, you know, there are awful hate crimes that are committed against us. So um, I've had, I've kind of been really, really, really lucky. <laughs> um, and, but even then, you know, it's scary because you grow up um, knowing that, you know, that, this is a culture which traditionally has not been very accepting of any kind of people who step outside of the the gender norms, and and it's still somehow more acceptable or more more tolerable in society yeah. for a a girl to be considered oh a bit of a tomboy versus a boy to be considered oh a bit effeminate. I mean, even the word effeminate. Is, mm. It's a derogatory, it's a loaded word, right? Yes. And so you, you have what, the, the first time that I wore a pair of Lorna Jane tights out in public mm. um, to go to a park run, yeah. uh, I literally put them on and took them off three times before I stepped out the door because it was so scary. I was so terrified of what people might say or how I might be even good-naturedly teased because that still doesn't yeah. feel good. Yeah, yeah, no, and it's it's understanding the the level of courage that it's taken, the vulnerability as well. But then, as human beings, how do we genuinely show support? Um, and it's to to understand what other people need more than necessarily what we need, but understanding that also impacts us. So when we we put our ourselves into the world, and I think this this holds a lot of people back. I mean, like I said, what you've, what you're, you've experienced, what you are still experiencing is a lot more, I suppose, intense, but there's still the, the concept or the theme that will impact many other people, be they men or women, in stepping out into the world more as themselves. I mean, I think back to the person I was when I was in my twenties, very different from the person that I am now. Partly, I think that transformation has happened because um, of my daughter and sort of feeling like I have a bit more of responsibility in the world now because I'm a role model for someone else. But I also have got sick of not being me, but then I didn't know who I was either. So I had to go on that journey as well. Uh, and then we all do. Yeah. And that that level of what do we really stand for? So some, one of the things that we were talking about um, a few weeks back was very much about having the ability to allow women to live in their authentic selves and also to understand who they are, your transformation in terms of who you have identified with and who you are now helps women do that. And I think it's a wonderful thing to be able to, because you work a lot with women now as well, don't you? Do you want to mm. talk a little bit about um, the processes? Because you have, you have quite a toolkit 
as well. <laughs> quite- so some of the tools that you use and how you go about using them. So I'm a, I'm a life coach, but I'm also a Pilates instructor, a breathwork teacher, a mindfulness and meditation teacher, um, and a, a whole bunch of other, a whole bunch of other uh, things in that, in that toolkit. Um, but it really is, I always come back to this central issue of authenticity, which is, you know, what I hope, what I hope I'm putting out into the world. And the idea that even if the thing that feels authentically you is not something that everyone approves of, or maybe nobody approves of, um, that that is worth the journey and the exploration. And I love how you touched on that earlier, this idea that, um, because, you know, I mean, I suppose it could happen that somebody could get out of bed one day and reinvent a completely new version of themselves and just step straight into it and and that's that's done, one and done. Yeah. Uh, I, I guess it's theoretically possible, but I'm sure it's definitely not the the norm and it's not what I see in yeah. in, in my work. Yeah. Because what I do see is that we are all afraid of making changes, especially big changes. Yeah. And sometimes and it does take a, a beginner's mindset, and I'm sure you've encountered that that term, that idea that that we we walk through life with this curiosity about mm-hmm. about ourselves and about others, yeah. and this idea that oh, okay, well, yeah, I'm feeling I'm feeling uncomfortable about something in my life, and I don't necessarily know exactly what it is, but here's something it could be. Okay, so what happens if we experiment with that? Oh, okay, that feels better. Or or it doesn't. Okay, we'll try it again. Oh, yeah, it definitely feels better. And so we can make changes in our lives little by little, incrementally. We ex- do the experiment is one of my favorite <laughs> is one of my favorite phrases. Yeah. Try things out. Um, and through that process discover who is authentically you most of the people I talk to most of the women that I coach you know are not going to go on a a journey of gender transition that's that's not that's a very unusual uh journey to take but a lot of the time it's other things that we might believe about ourselves um that are that are beliefs that could be rewarding to to question and explore Mm -hmm. and say well how do I why do I say that about myself or how do I know that about myself? Yes. And that, that, that curiosity is absolutely key because that having that, what do I want from life? What do I, what am I prepared to, to do? And even in business, we hear the word pivot a lot. I, I hear this word so much. And I was like, it would, it's become a bit of a jargon term now, but it's very much what we do in life. We do grow and we evolve. I remember um, reading somewhere once we either um, evolve or we dissolve. And I thought, okay, that's, you know, one extreme to the other, but it's it's still representative of the fact that we're growing and developing. And as as women in particular, I think we do a lot of the questioning, but that doesn't mean that others don't as well. We just don't necessarily make the space for other genders or other groups to be able to, to have those levels of questions. We all have it, but it's not as accepted. And then in a business space, we can question our businesses. We can change, pivot, um, make the, the adjustments that we need as we feel is necessary. I mean, even in my own business journey, I've already sort of progressed as I've found what fits better and the sort of messaging that I have. And it's certainly not going to end here. It will continue to develop. 
Um, what's the, the sort of, I guess, the, the first hurdle that you often find when you're working with a client? What's, what's the, the main thing that you find they have to break through first? It is, it is always the same. It is mm-hmm. always an unhelpful story. Yes. Right? Yeah. It's always a belief that, that somebody is, is not capable of something and usually not capable of change. It's that, well, my job is, my job is really um, uninspiring and I'm just miserable at work and, and I'm spending 40 hours or more a week at it and I'm miserable, but, oh, but I can't leave because nobody would, nobody would employ me. Or, and we'll have good reasons for it. It's because, it's because yeah. of my sex or it's because, of my, it's because of my age or it's because of, and we will have a good reason. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was one of the, the French philosophers who said that humans are very reasonable creatures. We, we will have a reason that justifies literally anything that we believe. Yeah. <laughs> so, and if we don't have it immediately on hand, we will find something to validate. Sure. And there's Whether always it's in a our own worlds or someone else's. And it's and so there's always the things that hold us back will always, always, always be a mean story. Mm. Something that we have taken on board and internalized. So to use my example from before, I had a, you know, I had a story in my brain that um, with a male body, if I step out in these very feminine floral Laura Jane Lorna Jane tights, um, somebody's gonna have a go at me or say something mean or hurtful or or worse, yeah. that was a story that I had believed, um, and it wasn't true because I tested the story. Mm-hmm. And in fact, if anybody had a negative opinion, they kept it to themselves. Um, and the other, the women who who I would uh, hang out with at Park Run, um, only had nice things to say. So, uh, so the story was untrue. Yes, it felt very real. It felt terrifying, like yeah. viscerally terrifying yeah um, until i tested it and actually it wasn't true and then as you asked that led us into that story it's then every time you do it you mm-hmm. are reinforcing a new you are building a new reality building a new set of experiences and now and now it's just not even it's just not even something i think about yeah, and this is the thing, we, we, that first step is where we think is insurmountable or that we're the only one who experiences it. I see this a lot with money and money stories. I have a client who just has this aversion to excel. Every time I bring my laptop, she's just like, like I can see that, that physical reaction. And I thought, oh, my goodness, there's so much that we hold ourselves back. And that's not to say that, it, oh, you just make the decision and off you go. The stories are there and they will continue to, to come until at some point the story is replaced by a new reality. And once you've done that, you know, you're like, okay, well, if I've done that, I can do, I can change other stories that I have as well. But it's still harder to, because we, we have, we still have this reptilian brain where we're wired for survival and the stories are generally negative because the negative tends to make us feel like we're surviving. <laughs> so we need external help like coaches like yourself and in the money space for me as well to be able to come in and go challenge that so so why do you think that explain where that's come from and let's Mm -hmm. let's dissect it when you when you help women then get over those initial stories how do you what what's what do you find is then the the progression from there it is it it depends a lot on what the on what kind of what kind of issue um she's presenting with um 
I have a, you know, I do general life coaching. I do have a specialty around love, sex, and relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, so I hear a lot of, I hear a lot of those stories. And again, it's there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, unhelpful stories that need to be replaced. Mm-hmm. And beyond that, it's really about trying to figure out, like, so what is the future that you actually want? Like, what are you? What are your goals? And I like to work from a place of values. So, you know, it comes down to, well, there, I don't, with, with some, you know, very extreme exceptions, <laughs> by and large, most people's, what most people want is, is something that's, that's beneficial for them and for the people around them. Um, it's not for me to judge what's good or bad. Like I say very much that every person is the expert on their life yes so as a coach it's not my place to say hey you should be wanting to do this or Mm -hmm. or go there or achieve that and it's really what do what do you want um and whether that is uh whether that's a, a change in a in a in a romantic or intimate partnership um or whether it's a a difference in in career it's what what do you want to achieve? And then how do we break that down into actionable steps? But again, it's not me doing the breaking down. <laughs> it's it's always the it's always the the kind. It's like, well, okay, well, if that's if that's where we want to get to, how to, you know, what how are you how are you going to do that? Like what's the first what's the first step yeah. that will get you in the right direction? Yeah. Um, for you, not for yeah. not for me, and that always comes out of a, a place of what do you value in life? Because yeah. there are the place where you want to go depends entirely on you know, what do you what do you want? <laughs> what do yeah. you want? For you? And this is a it's an interesting one. So we've spoken about values, and we both work with values in in what we do. Um, I find a lot of the time clarity is what often holds people back, and that's that's you know if we procrastinate or we do, you're like, oh, I've got that to do, or I've got that to do. It's because we don't actually know what we want to do. Um, how how do you find it's the easiest way? I mean, apart from understanding values, because that's that's important. That's that's a, that's a that's a foundational element of it. Um, but I often get asked from people, but how? How do I get clarity? How do I figure out what I want to do? Often I find everybody knows really, but it's a matter of trying to help draw it out. But um, how do you go about that Um, and helping people gain that clarity to take the next step? Yeah, well, so first of all is getting clear on those values and there are a number of exercises I use there, but the the main one I use is is a process of elimination where we we go through a set of common values um, and say, well, you know, how important is this to you? And we can we can rank them, but we can also have a look and see like okay, so within the coaching world, um, as I know you know, but not everyone listening might be you know there's this concept of the wheel of life that our lives are multi-dimensional. There are a whole bunch of different facets that we all experience. So we could be perfectly happy with our physical health, um, but we're doing it tough mentally, yeah. or we could we could have a we could, you know, be, um, we could be very happy financially, but the way that we're getting there right now is through a, a job that is demotivating us and that we're hating. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a case of having a look at 
those facets and then I will always apply it back to a, a values basis and say, well, um, if, you know, if you're telling me that, that education and knowledge is like a key value for you and yet you've been doing exactly the same job for the last five years and there's no new challenge for you in it and you're telling me you're unhappy and bored, well, I'm not surprised <laughs> because for you, um, the, the, that's such a key value. Now, for somebody else doing exactly the same job for exactly the same length of time, mm. um, they might not have that same priority around, you know, that kind of um, mental or career growth. You know, for them, what may be really appealing about the job is that, it's, uh, is that it might be tremendously flexible. Yeah. And it doesn't matter if I'm doing the same thing every every day, but I do get to set my own timetable. I do get to set my own schedule. So it's not that the job is particularly good or bad. It's how how does it reflect your values? How are your values showing up in that job or in that relationship mm. or whatever other part of your, whatever other facet of that wheel of life we, we want to look at? Yeah. Yeah, because it even it then flows onto so many other areas too. So if of, when you consider that life as a wheel, if we're unsatisfied or dissatisfied in one area, it will then impact how tolerant or patient we are as a parent. Um, how yes. we then will prioritize self care or exercise and nutrition because it, it it will be often easier to just go. I'm just going to grab that bag of chips. I personally don't buy chips because <laughs> they're there. If I am in one of those frames of mind, I will grab them and I don't want to, so I don't buy them. Um, so it's it's helping. So habits is another thing that I that I work a lot with. Have, how have you found? Does that does that fall into the work that you do as well? And and helping frame habits around the things to help support people until they can really connect all the dots themselves. Habits definitely are very are very powerful. And again, it, different people will adapt to that differently. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so again, it's it's very highly highly personal how how you develop and set a, a habit and how easy it is for you to maintain it. Um, I liked what you were saying earlier about how the what happens in one part of life can affect others. Uh, and before before we started recording here, you know, we were we were exchanging notes about our kids and that they uh, you know are coming close to the end of term, which means that resilience is not what it you know what it could be. Um, and for that's true of us as adults, as adults too. It's true of every human being that we have a limited amount of capacity to cope with what life is throwing at us. Now, in the neurodivergent community, um, they have this beautiful metaphor called spoon theory. Have you struck okay. that? that? And and I don't know why spoons. I'm sure there's a. I'm sure there's a. Um, I'm sure there's a. A historical background to it that I should research, but um, the idea is that imagine imagine your resources for the day as a number of spoons. Just go with it, okay? So you might have you might have twenty spoons in your in your hand. Yeah. Now, for somebody to expend the energy, get out of bed and get ready for work, maybe that costs them one spoon out of twenty. Mm-hmm. And then maybe the commute to work is really easy. They just get on the they just get on the the train and they listen to a, a podcast or, or something. It's another spoon, and everything that life throws at you, you spend you're spending more spoons. And by the end of the day, maybe you've got maybe you've got um, a bunch of spoons still in your hand, and you can go to bed and you're still rested and calm. Yeah. 
not overwhelmed. But for another person in a different circumstance, or the same person in a different, a different day, <laughs> a different set of circumstances, maybe the effort of getting just getting out of bed, getting dressed and getting out the door on time, maybe that costs, maybe that costs four spoons out of your 20. Yeah. And maybe the commute is is a is a stressful drive on a busy freeway. Yeah. And now we've spent another three. So we're already seven down and we haven't even got to work yet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so and so the metaphor continues. But the the idea is that we have the reason why it's a, I find it a useful metaphor is because it encourages us to think of our energy and our resilience as a finite resource. And I, I know there are some people I've shared this with who who don't like it because it some very literal minded people have trouble, I think, uh quantizing point of metal, like putting putting an energy level well an energy level is kind of a you can't measure it anyway and you can't and it's not discrete but but spoon 20 spoons uh, doesn't so it doesn't compute for everybody which no mm-hmm. metaphor does yeah uh, but either way if that doesn't work you there is still a truth in and it's going to depend on on the individual about how do you then visualize um the fact that yeah your resilience and your capacity to absorb stuff is is not infinite (laughs) no and it's yeah it's interesting i i I haven't heard of the spoon metaphor before but it's very similar to um the concept of of like willpower and how it is a finite resource and I, i did I did some, um, I did an episode on that oh, probably a few months ago now. But, yeah, and I, so I do believe it is finite. I don't think we have the same level of energy or even the same number of spoons on every, any given day even, you know, and it, it does really depend on everything else that's going on. And we even spoke, like, there's an, there's an energy in the world too, an energy of people around us. And there are people around who are, you know, they, take our energy and others who help support our energy and that's why it's so important to have the right people around you uh, we don't always get to choose them especially family but we can choose how much time we spend with them and the boundaries that we we put in place for that but I but I think that that spoon analogy or the metaphor is really really good because it helps us understand why we're just not perhaps it's on on every single day and why at the end of some days we feel a lot more depleted than others. It's like, well, because some, some days things that are usually easy are just harder or at least they feel harder. And so there's that so perception becomes reality then as well. If it feels harder than it is. And that, and that, primary, and that primary school aged kid who is normally very well regulated and, and normally very happy the idea that that one day there is a meltdown because the sandwich is cut the wrong way, it's not about the sandwich. No, it's no. that that is like the last straw. That's that's all I can that's all I can cope with today. And we are still all that kid. Yes, <laughs> at some this, level. Yeah, this is the interesting thing because as a parent, like you're, you're you're raising children and you're experiencing kind of life all over again and all the things that we have to learn that we didn't realize that we learned, and then the things that we learned. From my parents and observe that we probably shouldn't have and i find that comes a lot out with money stories as well because 100 oh, percent stuff that we didn't even realize we were learning we were learning and now it's impacting us now but it's not really our stuff it's somebody else's <laughs> we've just taken it on um but as grown-ups we don't deal with our stuff 
So how, you know, there's there's often this, we have to, we have to you know, put our own oxygen mask on and help fix ourselves before we can really adequately do it for others. And I feel like you've done, you've done that in spades and are very well equipped to help others as a result. But I think it's also, when I think about my kids, I also think of, I am really, really very mindful or careful about the stories that, that I tell, right? And that, and that what I'm trying to, um, what I'm trying to not turn into a, into a, into a negative story or something that, that, yeah. and, and of course, you know, we're, we're parents, we will, there's always something that we will pass on that we did not intend to. Um, but, you know, we were talking about money and yeah, my own, my own education around money. Um, yeah. Some terrible, terrible stories. And I think growing up, you know, I, with my with my own family background, I think some of the there was a lot of trauma <laughs> around around money, and uh, and a lot of really unhelpful <laughs> views and attitudes and, and things. And and so I'm so in that. So using that as an example, you know, I'm just really trying to not pass on <laughs> any of any of that to to my two boys. Um, yeah, if I just want to normalize normalize those conversations normalize talking about money normalize talking about investments they're still in primary school and and you know i, I set up a i've set up a um a sharesies account yeah. for, for both of them and you know we, we, put a little, yeah. we just put a few dollars in every 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 payday we put a few dollars in yeah. and into companies that that they relate to it doesn't matter if it's a good investment or not that's not the point the yeah. point is they feel a connection with this brand or this company, and then they can watch. Okay, well, we put we put another three dollars in this fortnight. Yeah, time counts, right? But we can see. Oh, it went up. Oh, it yeah. went down. Why yeah. is that? Let's have a look in the news. Oh, well, younger son who I think has has adopted some of the the interest in fashion that I have. Uh, younger son, of course, picked Nike as one of one of the the stocks he wanted to invest in, yeah. and and. It has been tanking ever since. And why is it tanking? Because of, uh, if we looked it up and, okay, well, Nike has faced some very huge fines in the US for underpaying workers and things like that. Um, and so I've asked him, well, well, your investment is, has really gone through the, through the floor here. Um, but what do you think? Like in, in the months and years to come, are people still going to want to buy Nike? Goes, yeah. Okay. Well, we'll keep investing. Yeah. And it's the it's that that um, reframing of the story. And we were talking about that earlier as well. Of when something doesn't go well, rather than just seeing it as failure, and even if it is, it's what we then do with because the word failure seems to have this negative connotation as well. There's another word that has a negative connotation, but it's actually a great teacher. <laughs> and unless we experience it, we don't know what doesn't work or what we don't like. And then being able to, like you were saying, the education that you got through, you know, some business adventure adventure that got impacted oh. by COVID just was so much more valuable than the formal education that you had. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to talk about that because I think that's a, that might be a useful story as well in this because so as a Pilates teacher, um, I did open. I did open a Pilates and and ballet bar studio um, in the Brisbane CBD in 2018, mm -hmm. and the studio was about 18 months old when COVID hit. Mm -hmm. And so there was a period there where 
uh, all fitness studios and businesses had to just close. It was for about two months. Yeah. Uh, and then when we could reopen, there were very strict social distancing rules. Now, I had, I had an inner city Pilates studio, so it was small in this yeah. little upstairs space, and it meant that with the social distancing rules in play, mm-hmm. I could have had four clients in there at a time, and it's like, I'm not going to be able to pay CBD rents and pay staff and power and all of the things that go with a bricks and mortar business um, with four clients in the room. That just doesn't work. So even with the most understanding and lovely landlord on the planet, I did have to close my doors. Yeah. Uh, Took an enormous financial loss from from that. Yeah. uh, Because... And, you know, it was a bricks and mortar studio with 18 months in. So it's not profitable yet. Yeah. And, and having the, and having done, you know, the whole fit out and marketing yeah. from scratch and like all of, all of that. Right. Yeah. And today, three, three years later, I am, I'm still paying off. I'm still paying Westpac back for, yeah. uh, for some of the, the setup costs now. Yeah. And I'll, I'll again. Uh, it's a tune of about. I lost about seventy k. Yeah. In, in closing that studio. Now, um, there's two ways I could look at that. Either that is failure, like you was like we were talking about just before. Mm. Like, so for, oh my goodness, you know, I've lost tens of thousands of dollars. It's a complete disaster. And yeah, of course it hurts. It still hurts. Yeah. yeah. Or I could look at it. Well, that's about what I paid for my MBA. And I know which one gave me, you know, which one gave me a better education in business. Yeah, and that's and that's the extraordinary thing that reframe and to to not look at on, on the victim side of things as well, as because you couldn't anticipate COVID. Nobody could, and even if you could, you couldn't have anticipated the re- response that would happen to it. So there's just so many factors that were outside of your control um, that it could just be a you know fall in a heap and just just give up but you didn't you've you know well, I, I did a bit but well, you, well <laughs> the reframing yeah. came later right <laughs> but, yeah yeah well and that's the thing though as human beings we're, we're allowed to feel things you know we're absolutely. we're allowed to feel devastation and you know it's something that you loved that didn't work because of reasons beyond your control as well um and we're you know it's okay to feel that way but i think a lot of the time we have to especially on social media we all see the happy things and it's all the great stuff. You don't see what happens, you know, at the end of the fairy tale kind of thing. Um, yeah. And then what we do to get back up again. One of the things that I, and I, I love that you mentioned that because um, one of having, I guess, moved through the world in kind of a very masculine way and then moved to the world in a very feminine way. I guess one of the things I've become really aware of is some of the superpowers that women have in our society and the, the permission to feel things and to have that emotional response and to be okay with that and yeah. to express that and to, yeah. and to get the support of, to get, to look for and get the, the support um, of your circle yeah. um, is a, is a superpower that I cannot even put a, put a value on. It is, it is, uh, it is so important. And, and so, so much part of being like it, if we're talking about transformational change that that a coach can help with mm. the the 
I guess the emotional honesty and actually being real about how we feel about something. Um, (laughs) That's such a, that is such an important um, head start on any kind of change, because if you know how you feel and can express how you feel, even if it's in the vaguest terms, that's your starting point. That's where this is how I feel. And, I don't want to feel like that or that's how I feel. Yeah. I want to feel that more often or a lot more often. Yeah. That, that is such a, yeah, that that's, that's a highway. (laughs) Yeah. And that, that support as well. We were talking about having the right people around um, and having that circle. And I think that is really important. Even, even said though, like I I feel like the, a lot of that changed a lot with the, there was a, was a uh, Ted talk, I think that Brene Brown first did. And, and that almost gave the wider, uh, population permission to feel a bit more, particularly the more sort of feminine side of the population. Um, but I think it's still something that's it's a valid reminder for everybody, um, you know, express your emotions and being authentic and not doing it in a hurtful way, just doing it in a, I'm feeling like this right now. I really need some support or I don't know how to process it or just being honest about it because I, I see what happens when we bottle things up and it's just it's not healthy for us either physically emotionally mentally and anyone around us as well because we're you know like a hot potato ready to pop at any moment so that's that that honesty and sharing which does tend to be more of a of a woman trait female trait is something that we can all learn and expand beyond whatever gender we identify as yeah absolutely um and it's it's also this um it's also such a sorry. I've lost my I've lost my tr- something. Something you said I was about to springboard onto, and I just lost the the train there. Um, it might come back. So it might come. Yeah. So how how what's what's coming for you now? Like what's what's coming in your your world going forward, and how can people find out more about it? Yeah. So um, as far as as far as the coaching goes. Um, I have a few. I have a few workshops planned that I want to be uh, offering very soon. Um, one of them is, is specifically around around values and fi- and that process of, as you were saying earlier, of teasing them out and becoming uh, more conscious of what 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 our values are. And yes. and they're changeable things, and they're um, and they are you know they're not set in stone for most of us most of the time. Yeah. Um, I've also recently certified as a consent educator, and so uh, I want to be offering some workshops on on that shortly as well. Um, and even though those practices started off in the relationships um, coaching space, mm. as I studied more and more about consent education, what struck me about it was that it underpins so much of every part of our lives. So. Um, it underpins our, our careers. It underpins our business negotiations. Mm. Um, the because basically the the model that I've been trained in, which is called the wheel of consent, um, people can look that up. Um, it asks two questions about mm. any human interaction. Yeah. It's who is who is the doer and who is the receiver in this in this interaction. Yeah. So which direction is the the action? <laughs> activity flowing yeah. and who is benefiting who's it for yeah. and and I thought when I learned that it blew my mind because or to started to look through that lens it blew my mind because it thought of, I thought about this 
this exercise we did at business school um, mm-hmm. where, you know, we it was a, a mock negotiation where there were two sides, yeah. each had a list of, a secret list of what they wanted and what they were willing to compromise on. And, and then mm-hmm. you had to negotiate. You had to negotiate an outcome with the with the other team. And, and by the end of it, you know, I think we did, we did pretty well. We got a good agreement. But at the end of many hours of negotiation, in the back of my head was, you know what, if, any, if both sides could have just been vulnerable and put on the table what they really cared about and wanted mm-hmm. and the stuff that they were willing to compromise on and the stuff they were not willing to compromise on, we mm-hmm. could have short-circuited this whole thing. Like we could have yeah. got as good an agreement or probably a better agreement mm-hmm. in like one we would have done we've been done in 20 minutes not yeah. not a whole day of negotiations yeah. so what do you want this is what i want this is what we're trying to achieve let's just do it this is the stuff i'm willing to give up on and this stuff no this is like if if we can't have this then no deal yeah. this is the deal breaker so but we were told for the purposes of the exercise keep it secret and we did and and now thinking of but it even through the that fact consent- that you were told to keep it secret that's training people, and that's the approach of negotiation. Yes. Keep oh, your, you yeah. keep your cards to your chest. Yeah, well, you know, you might if you keep if you if you keep your cards to your chest, you might be able to get more out of the other party. And yeah. It's like, how do we screw each other over? Yeah, <laughs> I know, and that's just so not how the world is meant to work. So but, yeah, yeah. So it was quite, so thinking of it now through through that that lens of of you know who is doing who is doing what to whom <laughs> whether uh-huh. whether that's in a bedroom sense or or in a business sense yeah um, and who is it actually for like who's benefiting yeah from it? yes um yeah that's so that's coming up as that's coming up as well um yeah very exciting so where can people find you on is it socials on a website we'll put the links in the, in oh, the show notes yeah. I- I have, my own, I have my own website, which is, needs a little bit of TLC at the moment, but uh, but I'm very active on the socials. People can find me on on LinkedIn and Facebook and, and Insta in, in particular. I'm very active there. Please mm-hmm. friend, follow, reach out, whatever. I'm very, I'm happy to, to, always happy to meet new people and bring them into my circle. And so um, I will typically say yes to any connection request so oh lovely all right well like i said i'll put all the the links in there so people can find you and and find out more about what you're doing and the workshop etc um, but i wanted to thank you so much for coming on today and sharing your journey and helping us recognize that vulnerability and working through things and support is is really worth the journey oh, thank you alpha i really appreciate it thank you and i hope everybody listening has a lovely rest of your day 